Welcome, everybody. We're continuing our series uh, from Mark's Gospel. You might like to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Just a little plug from me. I know this is a long way away, but Ashburnham um, will soon be coming online. If not, even as we speak, it's all coming live. And um, we're putting on this great big event next bank holiday, August. August the 23rd to 26th. I'm mentioning it now because most of you will want to get booked in before the end of this year. It's going to be a great event. The uh, theme of Ashburnham is Empowered by the Spirit, which is all going to be looking at Christians being uh, encountering a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit and, and then equipping us to be more effective in the workplace as witnesses. That's the whole point of it. And right from the little kids right through to the older people, we're going to be looking at that subject together. It's going to be a great time. So if you can come with your family, loads of things for kids going on all weekend, it's going to be a great time. When all the news comes out, please, we would like to take literally hundreds and hundreds of people from New Community right across all our venues to that event. It's going to be fantastic. Right, if you've got to Mark chapter 3, I'm going to just start by reading from verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. Please say the words, great crowd. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around, Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd, please say great crowd. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the... (laughs) Very good. Because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him, made, make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they, said to him, and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, this is difficult to say, Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, who you heard about last week, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who portrayed him. Then he went home and the gathered again. Sorry, this is funny. Gathered again so that they could not even eat. They were so crowded. And when Jesus, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul and then there's this discussion with Jesus and them how crazy is that if I'm possessed of the devil how can I cast out demons it wouldn't make sense verse 31 and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sorry and a was sitting around him and they said to him your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you and he answered them who are my mother and my brothers And looking about at those who sat around him, he said 
Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Wow, there's so much in this passage of scripture to take out from here. So we're going to have to simplify it. I've entitled this word, Jesus Becomes Popular, but I've mentioned a, 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 a kind of question mark over it. Because obviously you read a passage like this, it's obvious that Jesus is now really hitting the headlines. He is so, so popular. But is popularity the thing that is kind of defining the word crowd? So again and again throughout that passage, you'll never forget this. Every time you read, you read through Mark chapter 3, you'll hear this this surrounding sound crowd being said by all the people around you. And this was a phenomenon of Jesus' ministry. Vast crowds. Sometimes it says the multitudes followed him. Because Jesus suddenly overnight became ultra popular. Everyone was talking about him. His teaching was so amazing, people would walk three days just to join the crowd to listen to what he had to say. Miracles were happening. The feeding of the 5,000, healings, remarkable things taking place. And all classes of society wanted to come to get near to Jesus and join the crowd. So this crowd is just kind of building up all the time. In fact, the next three years of Jesus' ministry, there were always crowds. Crowds equal success. Crowds that gathered around Jesus, that welcomed him into Jerusalem on the donkey. There were even crowds when they crucified him, the end of his life. Everyone wants a crowd, don't they? I mean, isn't that what this is all about? Crowds are definitely about success. The bigger the crowd, the bigger the concert, the bigger the stadium and arena, the bigger the profile, surely that means that you must be someone very important and the crowds want to come and hear you because you, say, you must have something so much worth hearing to say. And the more accolades you get and the more importance there is, the more followers you have, the media and celebrity status, it's all about gathering a crowd. Crowds are successful. Crowds mean something. Crowds are all about what's really important. I have a Twitter follower or two, and they follow me, and it's a growing number. And then I've discovered there are people in your community that have bigger crowds following them than me. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's like Chris Smythe makes you, he's got a 4,000 plus followers. By the way, my Twitter is David E. Holden, <laughs> if any of you want to follow me as well. Not that we're in competition. But everybody wants a crowd. I mean, crowds are important. I think there are three main things to draw out of this passage of Scripture concerning the crowds, because that's what this passage is all about. And the first point is this. Jesus doesn't need a crowd. Just doesn't need one, nor should you. After 30 years of obscurity... This son of a carpenter who lives in the village of Nazareth that no one's ever heard of, literally overnight, it all changes. Here we go. Jesus had, didn't have any crowds, didn't have any followers. Now suddenly there are multitudes of followers and big, big crowds. And yet, you know, Jesus just doesn't seem to be bothered. In fact, he's, he's almost disinterested. 
He doesn't do crowds very well. He's not impressed with crowds. Often in Scripture, not just here in Mark, but in other passages of Scripture, you find that he's wanting to withdraw from the crowds. Uh, Jesus sends us this message, there's something far more important than crowds. He's not bothered. He doesn't count the numbers. He can take it or leave it. It, it, He certainly never gives in to the demands of the crowd. Look at verse 9 with me in that passage. He says to the disciples, get a boat. He says, I'm not concerned about how many people there are, but we need to get a boat because we need to go somewhere to get away from these crowds. Luke chapter 5 and verse 15. But now, even more, the report about him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Look at this. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus, there's the crowd. It's your moment. What are you doing? I don't even know what a desolate place is, but there was no one there. He, he, he just went to a place where there was no crowds, where there was nobody. I suspect because he knew later on that day the crowd was going to be bigger than ever. And for him to minister to the crowd, it wasn't about being in the crowd or being enamored with the crowd. It was about drawing away to renew himself so that he could have energy for anything that was going to happen to him that day. The crowd didn't even energize Jesus. Look at that. That's important. He didn't even get energized by more meetings and crowds. He got energized by being with his heavenly father. He walks away from the crowd. I mean, when you go through the gospels, he disperses crowds. It's kind of like again and again in scripture, there was, it says there was a mighty crowd following Jesus. And so he turned to them and said something highly offensive and everybody left him. Jesus, that's not the way to grow your followers. That is not the way to grow a crowd but again, again, just take it or leave it. It just says, so this crowd's following him. I think Jesus is a bit suspicious of the crowd. And he says to them, and they are removed. John chapter 6, verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And this is amazing. Look at this. So he turns to the 12 and says to them, do you want to go away as well? Another translation in some of your Bibles is, are you leaving too? It's a remarkable statement. You see, because many of us need the crowds to talk to us about success. But Jesus doesn't need a crowd. He can even turn to the 12. Everyone else has left. Everyone else has gone. He says, are you going to go too? It's just like the 12 that you've chosen, you're willing to get. Get rid of them or let them go away. That's a remarkable statement to us about Jesus and the crowds. Actually, Jesus knew that crowds could be very fickle. For it was the same crowd that welcomed him into Jerusalem and cried, Hosanna to the son of David. It was exactly the same crowd a week later who said, crucify him, crucify him. Actually, crowds can be negative rather than positive. We use phrases often in our daily language about crowds that are actually not very positive at all. We got lost in the crowd. Oh, she's just a face in the crowd. Or they just follow the crowd. 
just one of the crowd. He always goes along with the crowd, negatively. If you're around in the 60s, you'll even know a song that was very popular. I'm in with the in crowd. I go where the in crowd goes. Not many of you know that because you're not old enough, but there in mind. It's kind of like, get in with the crowd, follow the crowd. Listen, Paul says this concerning the way that we think. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world's thinking. In other words, there's a crowd mentality that actually might be very negative. A pressure to conform that diminishes individualism. We live in that right now. Most people, your neighbours in London, think differently about moral issues that they thought about 10 years ago. How did that happen? Because there's a pattern of thinking that the crowd just goes with. And if you don't go with them, guess what? You stand out from the crowd. The Bible seems to indicate through Jesus' example, through scripture, and through even us acknowledging, oh, they're just in with the in crowd, or they're just following the crowd, that actually crowds maybe aren't all about success. That crowds may be not all that they're meant to be. I think maybe the story of the emperor's clothes that most of you know is really all about this. Just the crowd. The emperor has this beautiful clothing and the little boy says, he's got no clothes on. Stood out from the crowd and told the truth. Jesus really didn't need crowds. Yet now, he is the one individual in the world that has more followers than has ever lived on this planet. Isn't that amazing? Don't be enamored by the crowd. Don't go along with the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. It may not be as fantastic as everybody seems to think it is. And if we are truly followers of Jesus, when it comes to following the crowd or following truth, there's a huge challenge there as to who we are really following. Because you might end up following the minority rather than the majority. And you might have an individualistic understanding of truth that all your friends say, you can't possibly believe that because we all believe this. Jesus doesn't need a crowd. Secondly, Jesus sees the different motives of the crowd. In this passage of scripture that we read, we can see very quickly that within the crowd, there are all sorts of different groups of people with all different motives as to why they're supposedly following Jesus. And for those of you that are taking notes and you love this sort of thing, they in the crowd were fans, foes, forces of evil, and family members. Isn't that great? F, fans, foes, forces, family. You see, it's not just one crowd. There never is one crowd. The crowd is made up of different groups of people and that's what Jesus discerned. And so the second thing we can learn from this passage is Jesus sees the different groupings, the motives of the people in the crowd and he has to deal with them per group. He knows that the crowd is diverse. He has to deal with their motives. So take the fans, for example. Who were they? 
Well, the fans of the people described in verse 10, they they were crushing him because they wanted to touch him. We have to understand that Jesus knew that just because you want a touch from Jesus doesn't mean you're going to follow him. People today would love a touch from Jesus or we'd like to touch Jesus with no intention of following him, with no intention of being radical and changing our lives around. We just want a quick blessing. We want a quick solution. I I think uh, this nation is full of people kind of interested in Jesus because maybe he can sort my problems out. Jesus never said, come to me and I'll sort your problems out. He said, follow me, whatever the consequences of that might be. And so the fans are all the people. It's not that they're wrong. They're what I call the clamorers, the ones who want to touch him. Jesus wanted to make sure that he, his crowd, if there was one, was full of followers who understood the cost of following Jesus and where that might lead them. And then, of course, there's the foes. Well, who are the foes? Well, verse 22 describes them. It says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. Why were they in the crowd? They were in the crowd to thwart him. So there are people wanting to touch him. There are other people trying to stop him. I don't know if you know this, but what happened was from Jerusalem, they would send the scribes down, and the scribes would mingle in with the crowd. Well, they didn't really, because they were all dressed in black, and they had long beards. And they used to sit around at the back, like this, with their arms folded. Forgive me if this is irrelevant to any of you sitting at the back. But they used to sit at the back like this. And, just, and they were there to analyze, is this really the Messiah? Jesus knew that. And then they, 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 they try to say, you know, well, maybe you're casting out demons. And that's why they're trying to come an explanation to all these healings and miracles that were happening. So he deals with his fans. He has to deal with his foes. And he dealt with them quite ruthlessly. And then, of course, he has the forces of evil. And this was really weird in our generation, but there will be people in the crowd that were demonized. And so Jesus would be speaking truth, and they would discern, the demons would discern who Jesus was, and they would cry out, you are the son of God. It's rather disarming, isn't it? You're sitting in a meeting, and there's all these people standing in a meeting, trying to cut Jesus. And there's all people falling down. And Jesus says to them, be quiet. So he's now having to deal not only with fans and foes, he's now dealing with forces of evil all in the crowd at the same time. He said to them, be quiet because he is not going to be controlled by anybody. He decides when it's his time, not the demons. You're not going to tell this crowd who I am and you're not going to push me beyond what I am because Jesus is complete control of himself and will never allow the crowd out to control him and then you have this very weird passage of scripture that tells us that his family were in the crowd as well so he's dealing with his fans he's dealing with the foes he's dealing with the forces of evil and now he's dealing with the family and you've heard us mention this before but this is called emotional manipulative controlling blackmail here's Jesus talking to a crowd And outside, the mother and brothers of Jesus come, and they don't go in. They send someone in on their behalf. This little guy comes in. We don't know whether he's little, but we just imagine that he is. This little guy comes in, and he waits, because Jesus is in full, you know, he's telling everybody, teaching them, and working miracles, and great things are happening. And in the end, he turns to this little person, and the person says, "Um, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus, ignoring him, continues to teach and teach and then says one of the most offensive things ever, who are my mother and my brothers? You who do the will of my father. 
You've got to remember that the mother and brothers are very confused at this time because they're outside the group because that's manipulative emotional control. Jesus is my son, we'll call him, he's a good boy, he'll come and do whatever his mother tells him to do. So they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Jesus knows that this is emotional blackmail. And in the end, after a long time, this little guy comes out again. And he just looks at them and says, um, you know you think you're his mother? You know you think you're, you're not? No longer. There's those ones in there are really his mother. I mean, how offensive. Why did Jesus do that? Because his family have joined the crowd. Jesus desperately loved his mother and his brothers. But he knew that if he gave into this emotional pressure right now, he would never fulfill his heavenly father's calling, which was more important than the manipulative control. They thought that his mother and brothers, who knew more than most of the crowd, thought he must be mad. So we're going to steal him and take him away. And Jesus is saying, this will be offensive, but Lord, bring my mother and brothers through the offense. And we know that the cross, who's there? the mother and the brothers. He says to John, behold my mother. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Please don't give in to manipulative, controlling, kind of things of well-meaning friends and family that actually are just part of the crowd, just stopping God's purposes being fulfilled. There are lessons that we need to learn from this second point, that Jesus sees the different motives of the crowd. Lessons like this. Are we really called to be popular with everybody? Think about that for a moment. Jesus is obviously not trying to be popular with everybody, which is why I entitled this, Jesus Becomes Popular? Question mark. We can learn from this passage that we are not supposed to compromise what we believe and what we know is important just to be accepted by the majority of people around us. They also, all of these people, want to thwart Jesus so he is not going to compromise anything, not willing to do so. I think another thing challenge I get out of this, I hope you do too, is... That if we're not willing to stand out and be misunderstood, we will end up following the crowd. I think if you're a Christian in 21st century London in the UK, you need to start bracing yourselves for what's about to come. I really believe that. Because the crowd are going to try to mould you and make you believe this, which opposes the word of God. They're going to say to you, culture, culture, culture. Don't be intolerant. Jesus was never intolerant. He was always full of tolerance. It's kind of like, have you ever read the Bible? Jesus wasn't what everyone thinks he was, tolerant. He was following the truth because Jesus is the truth. And there will come a time, I believe even in our, in our generation, when to follow Jesus as opposed to following the crowd is going to become increasingly costly. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be marginalised. Just last week, Oxford University banished a Christian organisation from having a summer camp on their premises 
on the basis that this would harm the physical and mental health of our students. How on earth does that happen? But it's happened, and it's going to happen increasingly. We are to be people that understand the motives of the crowds and the huge impact that they can have upon us. We may end up following a few, a few like-minded people like us rather than the crowd. See, because crowds are not impressive. Crowds are fickle. Crowds mold people and change people. And there's quite a few people here this morning, but the goal of a church like New Community is not just to draw a crowd. Uh, numbers are important, but they're not everything. We would rather disciple people who are followers of Jesus. And I would rather be in a church where we're doing that as well as we can, rather than just drawing a great big crowd of people who just kind of want to be here for those kind of reasons. Even for some of us, to cause potential offence to well-meaning friends and family is going to be a real challenge. The challenge is for us to look at our motives and stand out from the crowd. Are you and I willing to do that? You know, the more you see Jesus, the more you understand who he is, the more you see the mess of the people's lives around you, I think the answer is obvious. Let's follow him. He's the only one who gives life. The third and final thing here is this. Jesus only sees individuals in the crowd. It's an amazing passage of scripture. He doesn't need this crowd. He sees through the motives of the people following him in the crowd. And then thirdly, he only sees individuals in the crowd. Jesus was just not great at PR. I mean, I don't know who's helping him. Probably no one. But it's not, he wasn't very good at it. And the reason he wasn't very good at this is he spent hours with individuals. See, well, get the individuals, Jesus. Get to the crowd. We've only got three and a half years to impact the whole world. Why do you keep spending time with individuals? And, and, and this is really significant for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Because this is increasingly the opposite of our society. That has very little time for individuals. Everything's becoming personal. You know, trying to get on phone and get answers to things, talking to a machine, doesn't exactly warm you to who's talking to you the other end of the phone. We're becoming impersonal. We're having little time for interaction with one another. Jesus was the complete opposite. I read the names of those disciples deliberately slowly because it fascinates me that in the midst of the crowds, Jesus just calls these 12 men he even tells you what their nicknames were and who their fathers and mothers were. He's, he's not, this is the amazing thing about Jesus, he's, he's just so focused upon the individuals who are making up the crowd. Mark chapter 2, which is the story of the four guys who let down, well we don't know the four of them, but they let down the, the guy from the roof. Here's a look, verse, verse 4, and when they could not get near him, guess what? Because of the crowd, 
They removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic, their friend, was laid. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It's like at that moment, the crowd diminishes. Everything focuses in upon this one individual who's about to be healed. We think of the woman at the well. Just come to a new part where we're going to evangelize, going to reach these, all these neighbors, and everybody's gone off looking for food and doing other things, and Jesus sits next to this woman and spends presumably hours with her, talking to her about herself. It's like no one matters anymore. The crowds don't matter. The nations don't matter. It's all about this one person, this individual. We think of Zacchaeus, who the only reason we know him is because he's a little guy, and he was on the top of a, a tree, a sycamore tree. But the reason we know him is Jesus picks him out from the crowd and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. We think of the woman who touched Jesus when he was again in the crowds. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, don't be so crazy. Everybody's touching you. But he knew that one individual had reached out by faith. Who touched me? nervously the woman comes in the crowd and this is now no longer about the crowd it's all about this one individual it's like everything's focused out and it's all about this one person and Jesus says to her your faith has made you well you touched me because you believed that I could heal you think of Nathaniel he's a guy who was not quite sure about Jesus and everything and Jesus says I saw you Nathaniel under the tree <laughs> it's just like Jesus, please forget Nathaniel under the tree. This is about global evangelism. Again and again, all through the Gospels, we see Jesus with the individual. Levi, who we heard of last week. Jairus' daughter, he moves everyone out of the room and just to heal this 12-year-old kid to raise her up. Even, you know, when Jesus heals the sick, if you notice, he doesn't do mass healing. He takes on individuals. And sometimes he says this to them, and another individual says that to them. On one occasion, he spits and makes a pile of mud and sticks it on the eye. What's that all about? Oh, just says to me, Jesus is that moment focused upon the individual person and their needs right there and then. He took time for children he took time for women. He took time for the poor. The Bible says the common people welcomed him gladly. Why? Because I think when they were with Jesus, he made them feel like they were the only person in the room. Think of Jesus on the cross. He talks to the thief who's rightly being crucified and has a conversation with the guy on the cross next to him. What's all that about? He's just focusing in on this one individual person see the disciples just saw the crowds and they loved it said, Jesus tell the children to go away get rid of these people we want to go all the way just crowds crowds more crowds Jesus understood this the crowd is made up of individuals that really matter Jesus doesn't see the crowd he sees you I thought our worship this morning is really remarkable because I knew that I was going to be speaking on this I felt in the worship, God was saying, I know you're never in a crowd. This God knows you better than you know yourself. And he comes right down to us as individuals. 
Whether you are a Christian here this morning or not a Christian, you are never, ever lost in the crowd. You are always known uniquely and individually to Jesus. It's interesting, some people, when they define a cult, one of the definitions of a cult is that you lose your individuality because you just become part of the whole thing. When you become a Christian, you gain your individuality. You don't lose it. This is not about conforming everybody to be a type of person because Jesus has saved us all as individuals and loves our individuality. So if you're a Christian here this morning, this God knows you uniquely. He knows your gifts. He knows your calling. He knows the part you have to play. You say, well, I'm not very important. Well, to whom are you not very important? Because you're very, very important to him. He knows your background. He knows the issues that you're dealing with right now. He knows that you are different to the person sitting next to you. You're wired differently. You respond differently. You have different things that you're kind of working out right now. Strengths and weaknesses. He knows your ups and downs. And church can sometimes feel like a crowd. You can feel lonely. You can feel you're just kind of lost in the crowd. But that's not God's will for you. And it's not how God views you. When he saw the crowds, the great crowds, the multitudes, he looked through the crowd and he went straight to individuals. And he kind of picked them out. That's what God's done with you and me. He's got through the crowd. And he's got to us as individuals. And his knowledge of us is remarkable. It goes way, way beyond even our knowledge of ourselves. And part of being in the church family is you're never a stat. You're never a number. You know, with all our church suite and all the latest gear we've got. That's just to help us to connect with you and keep in contact. That's why if you're in the church and you feel you're just lost in the crowd, why communities are so important. Because they're our way of expressing, look, you really count. We don't want to lose you in the crowd. We can't, we, we, we can't just be a crowd. We want to know the people who are coming week by week and joining our church community. Don't just be a Christian who floats around on the edge of crowds. But know that Jesus knows you individually and calls you to come and be part of and be involved in all we are as a community together. You're never a, a, a stat. You're never a mistake. We're one new man in Christ. And we have unity in our diversity. And in this room today, you look around, there are different languages, there are different cultures, there are different backgrounds, there are different ages, different classes, different char uh, characters, different color skin, married people, single people, male and female. And we're all in Christ because he knows us as individuals. And I appeal to you today, be who you are. And our worship reminded us, I am a son of God. I am a child of God. That is who I am. And it doesn't stop there. It's just the beginning. And therefore, this one who's known you from your mother's womb knows every detail about you. Don't say I'm not as good as her. Don't just think I'm lost in the crowd. But know this, that God loves you. It's interesting for me. Come to a close that it's like worship. 
Sometimes when we worship together as a community, like we've done this morning, it's, it's kind of like the understanding that as we worship God, he sees you and he knows you. And he can speak to you and he can touch you. And it's why p- different people get affected in the same meeting in different ways. Because of the wonderful grace of God, knowing what we need, when we need it, at the right time. And of course, worship isn't for us getting something out of it anyway. It's for us truly glorifying Jesus. But when we do that, he often comes and meets with us. And I think worship, corporately, should always be about worshipping Jesus. And the reason I believe that is because he's the only person who knows everybody in the room. We've got to allow him to have his way amongst us because when we worship Jesus and we center in upon Jesus he really knows what's going on and we really really don't I remember a couple coming here who were not Christians it's the first time they've ever been in church some friends have brought them but I knew them really well and I sat where James is sitting now and the worship kicked off and I remember thinking Lord please help them to really enjoy this meeting please come and please work on their lives it's going to be fantastic well it was one of those meetings a bit like this morning where it kind of just really took off and everything happened and there were tongues and interpretations and there were prophecies and there were people you know shouting out clapping and the band got louder and everything and I'm dying on the inside this is the last time they're ever going to come back this is absolutely terrible and I just thought I just this is terrible and I was saying Lord please please could you just calm it down for this couple could you please kind of put the brakes on it a little bit it's good to know isn't it your elders think like this and could you just kind of dampen it down a little bit and do you know what after about 25 minutes I just thought give up just and I just went with the whole thing that's the end of that and then the speaker got up and he preached an outstanding standing word on justification by faith it was brilliant I thought oh, thank you Lord thank you you're now going to really communicate with them they're going to it's going to be fantastic what a great word it was Tim Blaber you know keep going guy it's going to be fantastic and uh, it was wonderful and I shot over to this couple the moment the meeting finished I said how did you get on they said oh, that was amazing he says, we've never been to anything like this in our lives. He says, I don't know that thing is when you were singing in those strange languages, but we thought it was absolutely amazing. It was wonderful. And we want, we've got so many questions, but we just felt God's, you know, we felt this love. We, is that the love of God? I don't know. It was amazing. And when that guy got up to speak, didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> I just thought, why on earth didn't you understand a word? Well, because they, they never even heard the word justification. It was a brilliant theological answer to questions they weren't even asking. And I just thought, how wrong can you be? Because I saw them in the crowd, rather than realizing actually God was having a way of reaching to them, which is completely off my radar, because you never know really what's going on. Can we stand, please? Can we just close our eyes for a moment? You know, there's another crowd that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, where it says, he looked upon the crowd and he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I've spoken this word this morning to a crowd of people, but even as we come to a close, even in this crowd, it's all made up of individuals. You might not be a Christian here this morning, 
but you're on a journey and you may be on Alpha or you may be talking to friends and you're here today but you don't know Jesus, I think he's coming through the crowd to you. I think he sees you as harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. We read this morning I worship Psalm 23 which people still kind of know. The Lord is my shepherd. If he's not your shepherd, there's an invitation this morning for him to become your shepherd. You know, you, we live in the most, in the loneliest, the most anxious, isolated generation that's ever lived. Where relationships are falling up, apart and massive mental health issues. just want to say to you this morning, if you're not a child of God, you can become a child of God because God knows you. He created you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. And he's desperate to have a relationship with you. And he's proved it by pursuing you, by dying for you, by loving you as you are. And I think you've got friends and you've got a family, a physical family. But the Bible describes it like this. You feel like you're an orphan. That's what you feel like. I feel like I'm an orphan don't know God I don't know him as my heavenly father and you feel lost in the crowd of society but the reality is he is drawing you now and he's saying to you now is an opportunity for you to give your life to him so that you no longer feel in the crowd and no longer feel like an orphan because he's come to you father I pray in the name of Jesus for people here today who are in the crowd, who feel lost in the crowd, who don't know the individual love and compassion and care that you give to them. And I pray there'll be many in this room this morning that will take the step of saying, I want a relationship with this living God. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my life. I'm desperate to come to know this God. And if that's you this morning, please don't leave here without talking to someone and saying that's me and finally for people here today who are Christians there is a huge message from this passage of scripture you know what it is already some of you are you going to be brave are you going to be prepared to stand out from the crowd not to follow the majority not to conform to what everyone else is thinking because you're not following the crowd you're following Jesus. And there's a massive challenge for all of us here today who are children of God that we will not compromise who we are, what we believe. But out of gratitude to this wonderful Jesus who saved us, we'll say, I'm going to follow you. Whatever it costs, whatever the future holds, <clears throat> you're the one I'm following. Just let the Spirit of God just come upon us right now. Come on, just let him touch you. Lord, give us courage to not be afraid of what the crowd thinks. Give us increasing courage as persecution starts to knock on the door that we will not compromise, that we will be truly followers of you and that through our example, many will come to know you because there are many who also want to get out of the crowd would you come and really touch us, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen.